This morning we are going to look at Luke's uh, narrative of the birth story. We'll look at Matthew's on Christmas Eve. But this morning we look at it in light of love, the love of God coming down at Bethlehem, coming among us, and how Joseph and Mary responded to that love. In Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, it says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea and to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. God, we pray that you would speak anew and afresh to us through your word today, that we would receive the reality and depth of the love that you have to impart through the gift and giving of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by asking you to look back over the course of your own life. Was there ever a time when you said yes to something that was hard, but because of the love you experienced along the way, it made it well worth it? Many of us could say that about our marriages that we have been in and are in, our parenting journeys, caring for a friend or relative, perhaps connection with those in your job or a specific call to service. But it is the love we experience along the way that often makes difficult things worth it. It makes the adventure or journey of life one where we experience the love of God along the way. The only explanation for Jesus coming to this earth is God's love compelling him to send the gift and person of his son. But I also would say the only explanation for Joseph and Mary sticking with it on the journey to Bethlehem and seeing this experience through as Jesus is birthed into the world is loving commitment. You see, Jesus was compelled to make the greater journey down from heaven to earth as we will reflect on on Christmas Eve. But this morning, I want to reflect on how Joseph and Mary were compelled by love as well. And then we're able to experience that love birthed on earth in Bethlehem that night. In comparison with the complex narrative in Luke chapter 1, the actual birth narrative of Jesus is brief here. In it, Luke stresses three things. The political situation to explain why Jesus' birth took place in Bethlehem that Bethlehem was the town of David to stress Jesus' messianic claim that he was fulfilling the promises of the prophets for the Messiah, and third, the humble circumstances of Jesus' birth that reflect God's loving commitment to us. In Luke, he tells the narrative of Jesus' birth, and here he contrasts Jesus' coming in his ordinary circumstances, the divine King of kings and Lord of lords coming in humble circumstances in his birth with that of Augustus, the Roman emperor who had the seemingly, seemingly had all earthly power at the time. Augustus has been remembered throughout history. The month of August was named after him to honor him. 
But in contrast, Jesus, who was born in humble circumstances, even having a livestock's trough as his cradle, has become the one we worship and celebrate. Jesus, the beloved Son of God, did not shrink back from coming to this earth to the most modest of circumstances because he was so committed to revealing God's love to us and for us. Jesus' love and coming, his adventure, was one of loving commitment and sacrificial service. What Jesus reflects in the nature of his coming becomes then reflected over the whole course and journey of his life and is what he calls us to as his followers. Luke 9, 23 to 24, for instance, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and my sake will save it. And Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, would say, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took the very nature of the servant and was made in human likeness. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus' whole way, his whole adventure is one of loving commitment to us that starts in the way he comes, but also becomes reflected over the whole journey of his life. And what we can see is that the loving purposes of God, the loving self-sacrifice of God, is contrasted with the controlling nature of Caesar. Let's just look at the, how the control of Caesar is reflected. He issued a decree, we are told, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. He wants to sort of see the depths and breadth of his power and influence. It says this was the first of a number of censuses that Caesar took. It sounds like Caesar liked to count things, or count people at least. And I think this is again sort of reflecting his status and power and influence. His counting was a way of sort of capturing what level of power he had. But even more, what this census caused everyone to do was to return to his own town to register. Caesar's control led to the upheaval of people having to go to places sometimes far away in order to be counted. So what Luke does is anchor Jesus's birth in history, in the powerful world of Rome. But what we can say is, rather than Caesar's control being really the the initiating factor here, it is God who is in control and used a Roman emperor's uh, direction to fulfill the plan. He had announced in Micah 5.2. There it says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. God uses the plan of the emperor Augustus to fulfill his overall plan and to reflect his loving commitment to us, to fulfill the promise of the prophets and to come in the person of his son, But I love those words, just as Jesus will say in John's gospel, before Abraham was, I am. Here, Micah promises that one whose origins are from old or from ancient times will come and be born on earth. The only one who could fulfill that promise 
was the one and only Son of God. And the only reason he would fulfill that promise is love, loving commitment for you and for me. The mention then of Caesar Augustus may not only be for historical background, but also to contrast the human with the divine decrees. Augustus's decree went out in God's perfect timing and according to God's perfect plan to bring his son into the world. No one had a choice about participating in the census. They all had to go to their own, regist- their own towns to register. But what we can say is God was using these human uh, events to orchestrate his divine plan. And we can answer the question, who is in charge, firmly with the fact that it is God who's ultimately in charge, not Caesar. God is the one who is ultimately in control of this world and this universe. And we can trust him. We can trust him to fulfill his loving plans and purposes for our very lives. Often, people can feel like Joseph might have felt, caught up in forces that are larger than we are. The Romans seem to be in control insofar as human authority can get its own way by exerting human power. But the Romans did not recognize their limitations. In reality, God is the one who controls the world. In all times and spaces, he works to accomplish his will. God did not write Roman law, but he judged it. God did not soften Joseph's bumpy robe, but he strengthened him on the journey. And God is in charge of your life too. He will guide you and provide you with all you need because he loves you. And like Joseph and Mary, we can live each day in faith, trusting that God is in charge, and that as a God, that as a God of faithful, loving commitment to us, he can be trusted with our lives. So beyond any argument as to Luke's historical sources, his basic conviction is that emperors, governments, and laws serve the loving purposes of God, often without knowing it. God controls all history, and he used Caesar's census to accomplish his purposes outlined in Micah 5.2, so that a mere Galilean peasant has to travel to Bethlehem ostensibly at the decree of the Roman emperor, but actually it is in fulfillment of the divine king's plan, which is reflected in Luke's frequent reference to what must be done. You see, what must be done in going to Bethlehem isn't about what must be done to fulfill Caesar's plan. What must be done is them getting Jesus there to be born in Bethlehem in order to fulfill God's plan. We've heard a hundred times about the difficult and long journey that Joseph and Mary had to make from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but we haven't always stopped to remember exactly how and why it happened. How it happened isn't as significant as that it happened, and that it happened is significant, not because of Caesar's ideas, but the loving purposes of God being fulfilled. We see the loving purposes of God being fulfilled through Caesar's census, but we also see the loving commitment of Joseph along the way. We are told that Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. This would be an upward journey going up to Bethlehem in the town of David. We're also told that he belonged to the house and line of David and that he went there to register with Mary. 
Just think of the inconveniences that Caesar's census brought and how it would have felt for Joseph on that week-long walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How would Mary have felt? Joseph and Mary had a three-day trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it must have seemed miserable timing to a woman who was nine months pregnant and riding on a donkey or walking all day in the dust and weather. Possibly not every family had to return to their ancestral home, but what we can say is that Joseph chose to. Many, believe, many commentators believe Joseph might have had family property in Bethlehem, so he went back to sort of stake his claim to that property. Or he did it in obedience to Caesar. But ultimately, Joseph's journey and sticking it out with Mary and seeing the promises of the prophets fulfilled in the birth of Jesus is all about Joseph's loving commitment to God. Again, We've all had hard and difficult things, challenges in our life that the only reason we were able to respond positively and see that challenge or commitment we made through was because love compelled us to. So much so for Joseph here on this journey. Luke does not say how long in advance of Jesus' birth Joseph left for Bethlehem, nor why exactly he took Mary with him. But what we can say is that Joseph decided to make the journey and he kept Mary with him. And I believe both those things were a reflection of his love. It's possible he used the emperor's order as a means of removing Mary from the possible gossip and emotional stress in her own village. But again, his original decision to divorce her quietly prior to the angel's intervention was a response of love, wasn't it? And even then, once the angel responded and said, Joseph, what is in Mary is from God. You can trust me on this. Joseph could have still said, forget it, and skip town. But instead, Joseph stayed, and he loved. And he carried Mary with him on this journey. He had already accepted her as his wife, we are told by this point. But apparently they continued in betrothal till after the birth, something Joseph didn't have to do. What Joseph did becomes a reflection of loving commitment to see what God is doing is birth on earth. And perhaps what Joseph saw was the outworkings of God's plan and purpose as they traveled to Bethlehem, where the promised child was to be born. Out of loving commitment, he sees the plan of God unfold to bring the Savior, Messiah, into the world. Joseph goes back to his ancestral home in Bethlehem, the town of David. And where else was he to go? This is where he belonged. And ultimately, in Joseph responding and making this journey out of love, he celebrated his belonging to the, 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 the town of David and the people of David, the line of David. And, in, and through David, uh, Joseph expressing that belonging, we see Jesus' birth in the right place at the right time among the right people. Joseph's commitment reflects a love that compels him. But this isn't the first time that people made a difficult journey back to Bethlehem and experienced blessing as a result. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of Ruth and Naomi. You might remember that Ruth and Naomi had both experienced the grief and loss of their husbands. 
Naomi, being an Israelite, decides to travel back to Bethlehem because nothing good has happened where she has been in Moab. Ruth makes a decision. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Ruth decides to journey back with Naomi. And we are told in that story that they come into Bethlehem at harvest time. The word or name Bethlehem means house of bread. And Ruth and Naomi, once they arrive in Bethlehem at harvest time, experience the blessing of provision and protection through their kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And as a result, these two widows are enfolded within the loving purposes of God. And Ruth actually becomes an ascendant of Jesus. Now, Joseph comes with Mary to Bethlehem, and similarly, they experience the blessing of provision and protection, as small as that might seem, being born in a manger, in an animal stable. But still, what they see is that God is a God who provides, that God is a God who cares, and that when we follow him and trust his loving commitment to us, we will experience the blessing of his presence. Max Lucado, in one of his writings, seeks to delve into the understanding of what this would have been like for Jesus' adopted father, Joseph. He pictures Joseph outside of the stable or the inn, uh, pacing under the stars of Bethlehem and perhaps you know, seeing the star that would draw those to Jesus' birth site. And rather than in the stable or in the manger himself or in the inn, Joseph is pacing outside, wondering how this life was going to begin and why God would choose to have his son birthed in such humble circumstances. Joseph has a, a conversation with God in, Luke, in Lucado's narrative where he's wrestling with God and crying out why he would do it this way. And then Joseph hears the first cries of the baby. Perhaps you recall the first cries of your child or children on earth. The first cries that let you know that life was beginning. I remember Levi's most distinctly of my three kids. It was the loudest. And maybe that's a reflection of Levi's personality right from the beginning. But I remember the loudest cry to know that God had brought this child into my life and ultimately would be blessed as a result. Joseph's willingness to be along for the ride wasn't just a passive being along as a father. It was an active embrace and willingness to be the adopted father of Jesus and to stick by Mary's side through that whole time. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And you and I are blessed as a result. Similarly, we see the loving commitment of Mary. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. She was expecting a child, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. We're told she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, helps us to see Mary's loving commitment and how that develops gradually. Mary responds first with incredulity. When the angel announced that she would give birth to the Messiah, she simply says, how will this be? Or perhaps in our language, this is totally crazy, impossible. Unless you have heard the Christmas message, and at some point you've probably found it incredible too. 
I'm sure you haven't always just grasped it in all its fullness. And if that's the case, you're in the same place because Mary found it hard to believe at first also. But she didn't stop the conversation there with God. She asked merely for more information. How will this be? As she hears from God, she moves to a second stage in her process of loving commitment, and that was simple acceptance. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, some people will not make a move towards Jesus unless it all comes together for them, rationally, emotionally, or personally. But sometimes all you can do is what Mary does, simply submit to the truth, despite fears or reservations. If we do, that gives us a foothold of faith to move forward in trust in God. But finally, for Mary, and I know for many of you, she comes to exercising faith from the heart. She's able to say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. She isn't uh, responding in incredulity anymore or mere passive acceptance. She comes to an active embrace of God's plan in her life. There's a loving commitment to see it through and a joyful heart that responds often in song. How are you responding to God's loving purposes in your life? Are you responding to incredulity? God doesn't work that way or can't work that way? Are you responding with simple acceptance? Okay, God, I guess this is the case. Or is there an active embrace, an exercise of faith in your life where you're laying hold of the loving purposes and promises of God? If so, I believe you experience the the love and depth of God's love and care for you in a whole and different way. We can participate in God's loving plan through that exercise of faith. And when we embrace God's plans and purposes and receive his love for us, we become loving people as a result. Just think of the fact that in 1 John, God is said to be one of love. God is love is one of John's principal observations in his letter. And if God is love, and if Jesus is God incarnate, then love was being birthed in Mary's womb. Love came to be among us and was residing within her. Love itself in his person. And that love then became birthed in Bethlehem that night, present among us. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the good news is the God of love is active and at work in your life too. And if that doesn't cause you to respond in wonder like Mary did, then I think you've missed the depths of God's loving commitment for you. God spent centuries preparing for this day and what we celebrate on Christmas Eve. God had spent centuries saving his people and rescuing them, but then preparing the way for the ultimate rescue operation and sending his one and only son to this earth. Mary wasn't just along for the ride. She became an active participant in the plans of God. She became one who trusted and loved God for the ways that he had accepted and chosen her. She recognized that as she was giving birth to the Savior on earth, she was going to be saved too. And she needed to trust God in the midst of all that could have been confusing and challenging. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says, There are people like Mary 
who are open to the truth and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than what they thought. And the fundamental truth of the universe is just this, that there is a loving God who created this world around us, who sends snow when he chooses on a day like this, And that loving God who created this world in love has come to be among us. And even though there was no room for them and him in the inn, he came anyway. And he was compelled to love his creation. And not just love from a distance, but love among and love within. I started this message by asking you a simple question. When was there a time when you were asked to do something hard or chose to do something difficult But in the choice of following through on that difficult, you experience the blessing of the love of God present and among you. If I had to answer that question, it would simply be this. After our daughter Kylie was born with her severe disabilities and eventually when she passed away in 2004, I honestly didn't know if I could love like that again. I didn't honestly know if I could risk wanting and trying to be a parent again. But through Beth and I's processing and praying, we made a commitment to be open to the love of God and the potential of his blessing us with further children. And if I hadn't responded like Joseph and Mary in loving commitment to see God's plan and purpose through, I would not have the present blessing of two wonderful growing boys who bless my life and challenge my life each and every day. Friends, our journey is one that can be marked by grief and loss and sadness. And all of us have experienced those qualities in some way. But if we allow God to continue to invade our lives and embrace his presence in our lives, we see and experience the blessing of his love being birthed in us. And just like Mary carried the God of love in her womb, God's love, can be birthed or rebirthed in our lives, even in times of desperation or difficulty. When Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem that night, they still hadn't fully experienced the promises and fulfillment of God until Jesus' birth. But they saw that process through, and they carried Jesus, Mary carried Jesus in her womb, and Joseph walked alongside Mary all along the way. And eventually, love was birthed and born that night. The one for whom there was no room in the inn, no seemingly space on earth, chose to come and fill space and place on earth. And some have said that the only place there ultimately was room for Jesus on this earth was on a cross. But he was willing to go even there because of his loving commitment to you and to me. Christianity says that God has been all the places you have been. He's been in the darkness you are in now and even more. And therefore, you can trust him and you can rely on him because he has the power to comfort, to strengthen, to bring you through. See where love and wonder comes from because all this he has done and brought us to himself. Like the wonder of love that we experience on earth When someone comes to visit us, for instance, for Christmas, coming from a long distance to see us, God has accomplished 
his loving purposes so that he could show you what life looked like by undergoing the greater journey and embracing humanity. Jesus took on skin. He became love incarnate because of his loving commitment for you and to you. But like Joseph and Mary, we get invited in to participate in that blessing too. To find courage and strength to go on loving others because God's love came for us. In the same way that Joseph and Mary carried Jesus and saw him birthed on earth, may we be people who carry the love of God with us and are compelled to continue to love and to continue to commit ourselves to loving others because God was so committed to us. My question and application for you is this. How can the love of Joseph and Mary, reflected in the journey to Bethlehem and their support of Jesus' birth, be an encouragement for you to deepen your love this Advent season? What qualities and characteristics is God wanting to birth within you in terms of seeing his love unfold in your life? And how can you allow God to have space and place in you more fully and completely. That the miracle of Christmas that occurred in Bethlehem that night would be a miracle we experience once again. That God forgives you of your past, is present with you in the present, and has good plans and purposes for you for all eternity in the future. Church, these are the gifts of God given at Christmas and their gifts that are still given today. May we welcome them and receive them into our lives and so be transformed by them. Rejoice, rejoice 
come to you.